Good morning. Man, I love this church. I really do. I love South Point Church. If, uh, if you guys weren't aware, these two young women who are up here leading us in worship this morning, they've been serving here at South Point for the past few years, and they actually graduated high school this year, and today was their last day serving. They're going to college, both of them this week. And so if you see them, yeah, if you... Uh, if you see them and just take a second to encourage them, I know that they have been worship leaders for me and for many of us, and we're just, I know God's anointed their life. I'm excited for what's next, but I know that we're going to miss them. So if you see them, make sure you encourage them. If you don't know me, my name is Dustin, and I'm on staff here at South Point. And if you were with us last week, we kicked off this new series that we are calling For Real. And in the series, we're reading through the biblical book of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, last Sunday, Jamie started this series off talking about trials and how James writes that our trials very frequently can end up being the moments in our life when we gain the greatest clarity and experience the most spiritual growth. If we will turn our eyes to Jesus and cling to him in our trials, we can experience greater depth and strength in our relationship with him. And now this week, we follow up with another very straightforward idea, and we are going to be picking up in James chapter 1, starting at verse 19. If you have your Bibles on you, you can turn there. If not, we'll have the words on the screen. And I just, man, if I'm being honest, it really feels like our passage this morning is directed right at the American church. And this is what James says. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now this morning I want to take all of that and I want to break it down to one digestible thought that we can focus in on this morning. And honestly, it's the idea behind the entire book of James. And it is foundational to the Christian faith, and yet, unfortunately, it feels like something that many of us in the American church at least have forgotten or just simply choose to disregard. And it's the fact that followers of Jesus are supposed to be doers of the Word. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be doers of the Word. Doers. That means action. That means obedience. That means submission. But you see, so much of the American church has taken the gospel and it's twisted it and it's manipulated it into this thing that says, hey, as long as you mentally believe that Jesus is who he says he is, nothing else really matters. But you see, that's not the message of the gospel. 
And you might say, well, what about John 3.16, right? The verse that everyone knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What about that? And this, I think, is where it gets real because the question we have to ask as Christians is what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? When the Bible says the word believe, what specifically does that mean? Well, we know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just simple mental belief, like believing in your mind, believing in your brain. It doesn't just mean that. Well, how do we know it doesn't just mean that? Well, because actually in this same book, the book of James, we're going to read in a couple weeks, James goes on to write that even the demons mentally believe Jesus is who he says he is. The demons shake and shudder at even the mention of Jesus' name because they know and they believe who he is. Even Satan himself, the devil, believes Jesus is who he says he is. And so we know that that type of belief obviously isn't enough because if it were enough, then Satan and all the demons would be children of God instead of rebels and outcasts. And so we know that when John 3.16 says, whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life, we know that it isn't just talking about simple mental belief. And so what does it mean to believe? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, it says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, be a follower of me, if anyone would believe in me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it mean to believe? Well, it means you let go of this death grip that you have over your life You let go of that and you put on the identity that Jesus suffered on a cross and died to earn for you. To believe means to put your old self to death and embrace the new. That's why it says in Colossians chapter 3, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. We are meant to be fighting against our old self, putting our old self to death and embracing what Jesus has for us. And then Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Our old selves died with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we have died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Notice the cause and effect. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, sin loses its power. We died with Christ, we are set free. We died with Christ, we'll also live with Christ. What's the mark of a Jesus follower? It's not mental belief. It's not simply someone that will say, hey, I believe. No, the mark of true belief is abandoning my old ways in favor of the way of Jesus. Jesus says we will begin to experience real life when we let go of our old life. Think of it. This way, imagine I have a beautifully wrapped gift that I want to give to my nine-year-old son. And he doesn't know it yet, but this gift is everything he has ever wanted and needed wrapped up in one inconspicuous box. And I go to hand the gift to him, but, but I see that my son, as he goes to reach for the gift, he's actually holding two handfuls of dirty, rusty screws in his hand. And I say, hey, you have to drop the screws, buddy. There isn't enough room in your hands to hold those screws and this gift. But you see, everywhere my son looks, the world is telling him, 
Hold on to these screws with everything you've got. Don't ever let these screws go. These screws are where your happiness is. These screws are where you'll experience life. Never mind the fact that they're stabbing into his hands and they're infecting his blood and they're making him sick. So I plead with my son, buddy, drop the screws and let me give you something so much better. So it is with the life that Jesus is offering to each and every person. Your old self is occupying a space that Jesus is actively fighting for. Your old self is like two handfuls of rusty screws hurting you, making you sick. And just like my son doesn't have enough room in his hands to hold on to those screws and the gift, you don't have enough room in your heart to hold on to your old self and Jesus. And until you let that old self go, Jesus cannot move in and take their place. So what does it mean to believe, to believe isn't just simple mental belief. Belief is dropping the screws. In church terms, it's something we call repentance. A word that seemed to have fallen kind of out of the Christian vocabulary. And all repentance really means is turning away from your sin and turning towards Jesus. That's what repentance means. It means changing your mind. I thought this is where life was. I've changed my mind. i found something better. Repentance means letting go of the dirty, rusty screws and grabbing a hold of the gift of life that Jesus paid for us on a cross with his blood. Repentance means obedience, submission, words that we don't like to talk about. Repentance means doing the things that Jesus instructs and not doing the things that Jesus instructs against. That's how you take up your cross and follow him. In the book of John, Jesus says to his disciples, says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says, we'll dwell inside of that person. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus says, those who love me, those who believe in me, you're going to know them when you see them, because they will be doers of my word. That's how you'll know. You know, I, uh, I, I love the Food Network. Do I have any other Food Network fans in here? I, I love the Food Network. I love watching cooking shows. I love watching people prepare food. I love reading about food. I love researching different cooking techniques. And you know, I could watch video after video, and I could read book after book. I mean, I could eat fancy dish after fancy dish and dine in upscale restaurant after upscale restaurant. And do you know what I would never be by doing all those things? I'd never be a chef. Never be a chef. Because you see, being a chef isn't simply about knowledge. It's not about what you know. Being a chef is about picking up the knife and chopping vegetables and getting oil in the pan and searing different meats. It's about putting what you know into practice. It's about doing it. And honestly, if I watched a million cooking shows and I read a million cookbooks, but I never cooked a single meal in my entire life, then I'd go so far as to say that a five-year-old kid who almost burned his house down making grilled cheese is more of a chef than me. Because messy or not, mistakes or not, he's at least doing it. And I mean, that's kind of funny, but it's not really funny when it represents how so many Christians in America are living out their faith. You know, you can watch a million sermons online. You can come to a million different church services. You can read all these highly reviewed books by the best Christian minds. You could read the Bible cover to cover, but if you are never a doer, 
of the Word, if you never put these words of Jesus into practice, if you only ever just stare at the cross, but you never actually pick up yours, I mean, how can we say we believe? And I know a lot of us are hearers of the Word, but I wonder how many of us are doers. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be doers of the Word. Are we? Like for all of our head knowledge, for all the worship songs we sing, for all the tears we shed, for all the Bible verses we can quote, are we doers of the Word? And I think in this passage, James really lays out two ways in which we can start actively living out our faith. More specifically, I think he actually highlights two different relationships in which we can begin to be doers of the Word. And I think the first is that we need to be doers of the Word in our relationship with the world. We're supposed to be doers of the Word in our relationship with the world around us. Did you hear how James started this passage? I want to read it again. This is how we are meant to interact with the world. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know what words I wouldn't use to describe American Christians? Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Actually, I'd almost say we are sitting on the opposite side of the spectrum on all three of these things. Quick to hear, who is it that we're listening to? Who have we sat down to listen to? Or do we just judge people either out loud or just to ourselves? I, I, I know what they're all about. I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to talk to them. I, I know what they do on Friday nights. I know who they sleep with. I, I know what religion they practice. I, I've heard their spiel a million times. I don't need to hear what, I, I don't need to sit down and have a conversation. You're telling me I need to listen to them. Matter of fact, they need to listen to me because I'm the one who's found life. They're the ones who are lost. They need to listen to me. Last September at a Operation Stand Down's Veterans Assist event, the same event that you heard about in the scoop, last year they invited South Point to be a part of that event, and Jamie and I had set up a table, and we were handing out some Gospels of John, and we were just having conversations with these veterans, offer to pray with them if they were open to it. Or really, we were just trying to be open to whoever God might send to us and just have conversations. And, and man, this, this gentleman came to our table with this argumentative posture. He was all fired up. And he wanted to poke holes in Christianity. And he was trying to get us to question if Jesus was really God. And, and he approached us as if he was going to dismantle and destroy everything we believed in just a few minutes. And I remember, man, with the best of intentions, with the best of intentions, I pulled out the Bible and I started going to work to show this guy the error in his thinking. I flipped Isaiah. I, I wanted to show him the truth. I mean, he was, he was wrong. Jesus is God. And I kept cutting him off because I knew what he was going to say, like I've heard it before. And he and I were going back and forth a little bit, and, and eventually someone else came to the table, and I turned to greet them, and I, I actually stepped away and I left this standoffish guy talking with Jamie. I pawned him off on Jamie because I'm a great friend. <laughs> but Jamie, Jamie just sat with this guy and just let him go on like his whole spiel. Just let him talk. This whole big thing. And I peeked over after a little while and this guy's rant had turned into him sharing stories about his life. 
Uh, I peeked over a little while later, and this guy was crying and talking about the hurt that he'd experienced in his life. And, and I don't want to puff Jamie up, but to Jamie's credit, man, I, I'm so glad I stepped away from that conversation because God literally showed me this verse played out in real life. Jamie didn't cut him off. He didn't preach at him. He didn't intervene, anything like that. He just sat with him and listened for, for a while. God showed me this verse. It's true because you see this man didn't need someone who was eager to cut him off with Bible verses. He didn't need someone who was frustrated that he was smugly trying to poke holes in my faith. He just needed someone to do what Jesus instructs through James, quick to hear, eager to hear. Not just hear the words that were coming out of his mouth, but like hear him. Like you know the difference? And slow to speak, slow to get frustrated or defensive. You see, the thing is, I was right. I was right. But it didn't matter because I wasn't listening to him. In this verse, when James says that the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God, like that's no joke. Man, our frustration, our disgust, our dismissiveness, our defensiveness, our outrage at the state of our society, this like war that we've waged on everyone who doesn't believe and behave like we do. I mean, look around, see that it is not producing the righteousness of God in our country. This like sword drawing, going to war approach does not accomplish what Jesus is trying to accomplish in our families and our workplaces and our neighborhoods. If we are so obsessed with being right that we are running over people with our words, man, we have drifted off mission. And I've been guilty of that more times than I can count. And so I'm just going to say this about myself, about myself, and if the boot fits for you, feel free to put it on. But I think that I should just shut up and read the Bible more. Like, I really should. I, I, there is nothing so profound or moving or inspirational that is going to come out of my mouth that is more important than me just immersing myself in the Word of God. I should just shut up and read the Bible more. James pretty much says this in the very next verse. He, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. You know what James is talking about when he says filthiness and rampant wickedness? He's talking about the way in which Christians just live exactly like the rest of the world. Not only our sinful, self-serving lifestyles, like that's obvious enough, but even more so in the way we treat each other. The way we get offended and we start yelling over top of one another and we've adopted this it's us versus them mentality. And the thing is, that's the world's way. And I think James asked, like, what if we just stepped away from all that and committed ourselves to not only immersing ourselves in the word of God, but actually like starting to live it out. Going on a chase through God's word to discover everything that Jesus is and what he's done and just soaking ourselves in that. Like the living, breathing word of God, if we just committed ourselves to just being in this a lot. Like do you, do you guys believe that there's power in these words? I would bet, I, I would almost guarantee that if I stood up here and I like pulled a Ouija board out from behind the keyboard, I bet if I pulled a Ouija board out and started messing with it on stage, I bet a lot of you would be like wildly uncomfortable. Most of you would probably get up and leave. 
You'd be like, dude, I'm not messing with that. Like, are you serious? Do you have any idea? Like, that stuff's evil. That stuff will invade your life, man. I bet if you came up to me after service and I handed you a book of voodoo or like black magic spells, you'd be like, are you out of your mind? Like, if I start reading that, this stuff could like influence my, this could influence my kids. This could possess me. Like, this could ruin my entire life. Don't you know how dangerous that stuff is? Don't you know how powerful that stuff is? And I bet a lot of you guys have faith that those evil words could severely impact your life. But you see, if I hand you this book and I say, go home and read this, do you have the same faith that this might impact your life? I mean, I wonder sometimes, I know a lot of Christians are against all that voodoo, evil stuff, and we we obviously should be, but but I wonder sometimes if we have more faith that reading man-made spells might allow dark forces to invade our lives. I wonder sometimes if we believe that more than we believe that picking up this book and reading it might allow the spirit and goodness of God to invade our lives. And if we really believe that, then why do so few Christians actually pick this book up and read it? I just, I, I, I don't get it, if I'm being honest. James says, immerse yourself in the word of God. Get familiar with it. Jesus says he is the word. Get this stuff in your heart. Live it out. Let it become a part of who you are and watch. Watch how drastically your interactions with the world around you change. So first, we are doers of the word in our relationship with the world. And then second, we are called to be doers of the word in our relationship with God. Doers of the word in our relationship with God in verse 26, James says, and this is a good word, man, this is rough. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is what? It's worthless. It'll do nothing for him. It won't save him. It can do nothing for his life. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I, I think sometimes we read this verse and we're like, orphans, widows, yeah, I get it. You know, we're supposed to like love them. And This is for real, man. Uh, according, according to childwelfare.gov, there are currently around 391,000 kids in the foster care system in the United States. 391,000, that's a lot. And according to numerous domestic polls, the number of people who claim to be Christian in the United States is currently somewhere around 200 million. 391,000 versus 200 million. Now, I've never been a really big math guy, but do you think we might be able to make a difference in this? 391,000 isn't even 1%. It's not even close to 1% of 200 million. And then according to the United Nations World Food Program, they estimate that it would cost somewhere around $40 billion a year to end world hunger. $40 billion, that's a lot of money, obviously. But did you know that in 2020, a pandemic year, a money is kind of tight year, that Americans spent almost $800 billion just on Christmas alone. And you know, 60% of Americans claim to be Christians, and so, you know, I'll just be be generous and give us the benefit of the doubt that we're spending less money 
at Christmas because, you know, we know the reason for the season. That's what we do, right? Because we're spiritual. And so let's just say of that 800 billion, we're only responsible for 100 billion. That's being generous. If American Christians, just American Christians, just cut our Christmas spending in half for Jesus' birthday, we could end world hunger. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like that really bothers me. That like gets under my skin. Like makes me sick to my stomach almost. Like that's brutal. Like the American Christian population alone could house every child in our country easily who doesn't have a family and could end world hunger with one foul swoop. And yet you look around and it's like these problems seem to be growing. Instead, it seems to be getting worse. So what does it mean to love God? Is it the the song singing and the, do, is it doing those things? Is that what it means to love God? No. How can we be doers of the word in our relationship with God? Well, Jesus tells us. Jesus says very explicitly to his disciples in Matthew 25. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer them truly. I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then later in the Bible, there's this moment where Jesus is face to face with his disciples after raising back from the dead, after he's been crucified and he's been resurrected. And the resurrected Jesus addresses his disciple Peter, the disciple who denied even knowing him, who abandoned him right before he went to the cross. And this is the first time Peter's seeing Jesus face to face. And you know what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say, Peter, how could you? You you betrayed me. No, this is what Jesus says to Peter. Instead, it says, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anyone? It says, and Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus, or Simon said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. As he said to him a third time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? love me. It says Peter was aggrieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And, and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I mean, will we be offended if Jesus said to us, do you love me? And just kept asking, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Hear him, man. Hear Jesus speak here. The words of James says our religion is useless. It's useless if it doesn't call us into action. Our allegiance to Jesus has no worth whatsoever if we continue to live our lives walking by those who've been abandoned and outcast, acting like we don't even see them. There's this, there's this profound and striking passage in the book of Amos in the Old Testament, and it's heartbreaking because God speaks to his people, and he says your religious gatherings and all of your services, like they reek like they have this disgusting deathly stench to them like they're they're, they make me sick to my stomach and you're singing like when you sing songs to me like that's just noise 
in my ears, and I don't even want to hear it because you don't actually follow me. It's all just a show. It's this empty, useless religion. And then in the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, God says that people worship him with their lips, with, with their mouths. They'll sing songs to him, but their hearts are far away from him. So you'll come into a church building, you'll sing songs, you might even get a little bit emotional, but then you walk out of that and you don't even follow, you don't do anything that tells me that you actually follow me, that you believe in me. How do we respond to this? Like as a community, as individuals, you know, Christians often do this thing, I hear it all the time, especially someone who works at a church. Christians do this thing where they'll say they want to go deeper. I just want to go deeper. I want a deeper relationship with Jesus. Like, I want to be spiritually challenged. I want the messages to be deeper. I want the songs to be deeper. I want them to hit me deep in my heart. I want complex ideas about Jesus. I want to know about spiritual warfare and the inner workings of Christianity. I just want to be deeper in my relationship with God. And so many times, these Christians don't even know their neighbors' names. So many times, these same Christians haven't served anyone but themselves in years, if like ever. And so many Christians walk by human beings, and not only do we not serve them, but it's gotten to the point where we don't even make eye contact with them anymore. And I'd say to those Christians, if you want to go really deep, like if you want to go deep, start living your life the way Jesus instructs. That is literally as deep as it gets if you want to experience depth. The depth of the Christian faith is not being a hearer of the word or even a knower of the word. It's about being an actual doer of the word. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be doers of the word. You want to go deep? What if we just shut our mouths once in a while and just listen to people and we're just like present with them? No agenda. Just sat and listened. And I think sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit doesn't just like make us jump around and like get super emotional and cry, but a lot of times the Holy Spirit just jars you into silence and reflection. And then I wonder if we experience that side of him or if we're only ever arguing about politics and sin and social issues with all the people around us. I think sometimes silence is deep. I mean, if you want to go really deep, what if you built relationships with all of your neighbors? What if you found ways to serve all of your neighbors? If you made sure everyone on your block knows that at least one person in this neighborhood cares about me and sees me and loves me, if no one else, at least one person, that'd probably be pretty deep. I mean, if you want to go super deep, what if you took all the money that you were going to spend on Christmas this year and you just gave it all away? You spent that money buying meals for people or buying gifts for kids who have nothing. You might say, man, what about my kids? What about your kids? I bet if you did that and they were a part of that, they would remember that more than any gift you could ever give to them. To see that their parents not only believe this Jesus stuff, but actually like live it out, that'd be pretty deep. I mean, you want to go ultra deep? What if we took this passage literally and we started inviting children into our home? What if we started fostering kids? What if we called Adoption Rhode Island? I mean, even if you don't have space, we can financially adopt them? What if we started providing for the kids in our state? Mentor them or at least visit them or at least look at them, you know? Jesus says that's real religion. That's how you get deep. How can we be doers? I mean, I, I challenge you guys to go home and actually sit down and pray about this. Offer yourself to God. Tell him, I want to be a doer. God, make me a doer. Show me the ones that nobody loves and push me 
to go and love them. Send me to the places where no one else will go. Lord, I want to see the people who have, I want to see the people who are hurting. I want to have the boldness to go there and start loving them the way you do. And listen, it'd be really easy to get this confused with just social reform and social justice. And it definitely can serve some of those purposes. But man, this is about showing people that a love exists in this universe that is willing to go to the hardest and most heartbreaking places to begin to love people and showing them that there is so much more to this life than disappointment and loneliness. That there's a love in this universe that found me and my mess and it loved me too much to keep me broken and lost and it's brought me to life and now this love is flowing through my veins and I cannot rest until that love and the name attached to it, Jesus Christ, is made famous in the places I live. I think that's what it means to be a doer of the word. And so are we a community of hearers? I know we hear these things. I know I hear these things. But will we also commit to being doers? Let's pray. Lord, I'll be the first to admit that I, man, it's so easy for me to get lost in this. It's so easy for me to turn following you into singing songs and and, and giving money and, and praying more. And yes, I know that all these things are important and an essential part of having a relationship with you, God. It's so easy to forget that I'm supposed to be doing these things. I'm supposed to be loving people. And I've failed that in so many ways. I know your church has failed doing that in so many ways. And so, God, I just pray that you change the heart of South Point Church, God. I pray that we are so convicted by the words of James and by the words of you, Jesus, that we cannot help but start to live these things out. Because we've been changed, we've been loved, we've been the ones who were lost and broken and thought there was no hope. And then we caught a glimpse of you and nothing was ever the same, Lord. I pray that we can go to the places that we inhabit, our families and workplaces and neighborhoods, and we can begin to show people that there is a love in this universe that loves even the most hopeless and can offer peace where their peace has no business being there, honestly. God, Would you change our hearts and help us with this? We will never be able to do this on our own. Never even be able to observe all the problems and ways that we could love people around us. We need your help in this. God, change us. Change us from a community of hearers to a community of doers. We love you, Lord. We commit this to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Wow.